Welcome to Interviews. Being an entrepreneur is the toughest job ever. There are no practical guidelines. So I created this podcast to help crack the entrepreneurship code. Join me every week as I invite entrepreneurs to share their stories, the practical tips and lessons they've learned along the way. Don't be the main bottleneck in your business. Subscribe now. Interviews is brought to you by Social Prize, a marketing and communication agency operating remotely since 2005. Social Prize specializes in digital technologies and communication, web development, e-commerce, remote working, coaching, training, growth hacking. Log on their website, socialprize.me. Hi, thank you for listening. My guest today is Darren Burke, co-founder and CEO at Outcast Foods, a global leader in the upcycled food movement based in Canada. Darren is a celebrated science-based entrepreneur focused on plant-based living and social impact ideas to save the planet. He created Outcast Foods using proprietary technology and localized food supply chains to upcycle surplus fruits and vegetables into high-purity, nutrient-dense, long-shelf-life, natural health products. Darren is a former university professor, would you believe that, who commercialized scientific research into a new category of sports nutrition products. He grew his first company, Rivalus, from inception to 20 million in annual revenue in five years and successfully exited it. In 2021, he was selected as an Atlantic winner for EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Hey, Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you. What a wonderful introduction. It's, that's what you said. <laughs> <laughs> you look pretty amazing. I copy and paste stuff. <laughs> no, but it's a good one. I agree. It's very interesting, your 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 journey because you started your career as an academic and then you transitioned somehow to entrepreneurship and and that worked pretty well <laughs> you know what yes i was i got lucky i'm not gonna lie it was uh it's been a great journey no question so well tell us a little bit more about this uh, journey yeah, so thank you for the opportunity. Obviously, it's great to, great to reconnect with you. Um, yeah, so me, you know what? It's, it's funny. I, uh, I started university days as a student athlete, and I think like no, so many student athletes, it's that balance of struggling, fitting in your exercise and competition, and then cracking the books late at night and in the day to get the work done. And for me, um, school was always really important. I, I come from a pretty uh, humble beginnings and modest means where my parents were two very hardworking working class parents that wanted more for their kids. So getting to university was a really big deal. I think I was the first in both sides of my parents' family to go on and do a university degree. And then to get a PhD, I think was a really big deal uh, for both sides of the family. So for me, yeah. yeah, I was a student athlete. I was pretty good at school. In fact, I think I was better at school and sports and so sports kind of fell to the wayside I kept going and I was really fortunate in my last year of my undergrad I had a terrific advisor that um, took me under his wing brought me into his university lab 
and really showed me um, a future of doing academic research and what it would be like. And so that really sparked an interest in me. I, I always was curious. And mm. so the curiosity married up with studying and, and solving problems led me to do a PhD. And then from there, a PhD and became a tenured university professor at a, a really nice university in a small town uh, on the east coast of Canada. And then my research, again, it's one of those things like just being curious, my research led me into the business world. And I think in some ways, because I was uh, new to business, I really wasn't frightened by it. Um, right. I jumped into an industry that was super busy and crowded and competitive. <laughs> Before I knew it, I was in it. So yeah. <laughs> then they, what's the, they say the rest is history, right? Yeah, but I mean, you had the, the, the perfect academic career, the PhD, then you become a professor. And from there to being an entrepreneur, there's a big, <laughs> there's a big step. What, what were the triggers? Yeah, that's a really terrific question. Like I, I think back I, with fond memories of my academic life. I loved, I loved the beginning of every academic uh, year. It's like you're, you walk across campus and there's just a buzz on campus with young people and ideas and energy. And I think for me that to make that jump into entrepreneurship, it was, it was almost a natural fit because again, mm. as I mentioned, very curious, uh, interested in, in solving problems. Um, and so I looked at entrepreneurship in a way, in a very similar way. Like I looked at, uh, first of all, I studied the marketplace thoroughly to find out where there were gaps in the industry. And for me, with this new category of sport nutrition products that I created, I was bringing my academic research to the business world because for 10 years, I studied the effects of dietary supplements on health and fitness. And so in jumping into entrepreneurship, it was in a category that I knew quite well, which was mm. sport nutrition products and new athletic populations. And what I didn't know, but quickly learned was how do you find a niche in a market and really tell the story of what the products will do or can do or, or marry up with uh, the end benefits or objectives to the consumer. So those are the things that I think I, I really quickly learned. And besides, you know, when you do a PhD, you're pretty good at reading and writing. So I got, you know, I just, I took those, I took those same skills and applied them to the business world. And, uh, uh, you know, I got really fortunate. Right. Yes. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you also, you know, you, you, you also understand why you got a little bit fortunate. And so from, from inception to 20 million uh, revenue in five years, that's not bad. <laughs> and so you mentioned that you found this niche product, which I believe is one of the key reasons of your success. Do you see any other uh, reasons for such a rapid success? Yeah, that's, you know, success is a challenging thing. I think all of us that do certain things in life, I think we, we establish our own bar for what is successful. Yeah. So yes, good point. I, I, I didn't realize at the time I was in a niche market. Uh, what made me successful was a relentless work ethic. I, you know, mm. I, I grew up in a, in a working class family. So work was always highly valued. Um, third to that would be um, also just making relationships and learning from those relationships and making those relationships lasting 
um, and you know, forging really good trade relationships. So everything from the suppliers and the co-packers and the retailers, and then the folks that help me market, those relationships are critical. And a person's reputation and credibility within those relationships are, are instrumental in, in a person's success. And so I, I you know, uh, yeah, I, I built and forged really good relationships. I worked mm. relentlessly as most entrepreneurs do. Yes. Um, and I studied, I studied the marketplace constantly, constantly listening um, and responding accordingly. And one of the things that I, I tell new entrepreneurs is be really careful with, uh, you know, make sure your eyes and ears and mouth are working accordingly. You've got two eyes, you've got two ears, but you've got one mouth. Mm. And I always say, use them accordingly, like listen to everything, listen, ask questions, listen and then respond and change accordingly. And so our products and market changed constantly. Our business constantly evolved with the changing landscape in the marketplace that we that we were doing business in. And because of it, we continued to stay ahead of trend and on point with what consumers were looking for. I like this uh, listening uh, approach. I think we don't talk about it enough because we, we, we suck at listening in general. <laughs> What did you do exactly? How, how are you listening? Yeah, so in, in those relationships that I mentioned, so everything from when you start a business, everything from banking relationships through to retail partner relationships through to marketing and advertising relationships and influencers that are so important nowadays. I think when you interact with every facet of your business and you ask, uh, enough questions, at least the right questions. All you have to do is listen. And, and oftentimes the path is kind of laid out for you. It mm. may not be crystal clear, but what you're doing is in speaking to all those multi facets uh, in the business landscape, you're drawing upon similarities coming from multiple different sources. And then I think then it's a matter for the entrepreneur to do a great job listening and then trying to hone it in into a really narrow focus and then push. And so you know, the other thing I'm a big believer in is little pushes until you find the big gap and mm. then harder pushes and then, you know, assess the, assess the market. And then you continue to hone the focus of those pushes until you find that right path and then you push as hard as you possibly can. And so that that's what it was for us. So to go from a $50,000 line of credit to 20 million in revenue in five years, it sounds like a, I guess, you know, it was a bit of a big deal. Year one, though, like I'll tell you that it was, I did 500,000 in revenue in year one. And I thought that was, you know, that was pretty good. I was That's, like, that, yeah, that was, that was <laughs> awesome. And then, you know, then to go, so I went from 500 to a million in year two. So doubled, yeah, which was really exciting. And, but then what happens is you get into scale. So I did 500, a million, then 3 million. Mm. then 9 million, like the numbers jump significantly. And again, it has to do with uh, little pushes, watching and listening, harder pushes, watching and listening. And what you're doing is you're, you're following a very curvy road as you go in business. And you just have to be doing those little pushes and paying attention and then continue to push and then harder and harder. And then you hit scale and then it's really exciting. Right. But it also means that you know, such a rapid expansion also means that you had to transform your business like very quickly. 
because that has implication in terms of staff, processes, et cetera. How did you, how did you deal with that? Yeah, you know, I learned that the first time too. So again, as a curious guy, uh, staffing and HR and vacations and benefits plans and all those things that go along with scaling a business, um, they are big challenges. Those challenges mm. of, of staffing and HR and in-house in activity I would say every entrepreneur that is a kind of an ideas and a founder, I would say they probably struggle with that the most. Uh, and at least that's been my experience with not only myself, but with other founders that I know. We like the ideas. We like creating something new. We, we don't really sign up to be managers and, and mm. HR people. And hiring and firing is probably the hardest part in scaling any business. Um, and so... How did I do it? Well, again, it's you know trial and error. You you hire people based on face value, and there's a trust, and then you can't do their work for them. You've got to trust that they'll do it. You empower them, and then you kind of set them on a path and let them make their own decisions. Sometimes they make mistakes, and sometimes uh, they make good decisions. Ideally, they're making more good than bad, and do a little course correcting and a little bit of coaching and, and mentoring there, and. Fingers crossed, uh, it comes together for you. But it is a challenge. It's uh, it is by far uh, again. I think for me, it's probably the hardest part of the business for me is the the HR side of it and and the managing the people piece. Why why is that? I don't know. It's a combination. I think in some ways, I I trust really quickly and I just give people free mm. reign. I I think. Uh, I, I definitely have discovered and classify myself as, as not a micromanager. There are other entrepreneurs out there that are incredibly micromanagement style. It's not my style. I'd, I'd rather, you know, if someone comes in, I just, I show them their, their desk and I give them the keys and let them have at it. And in some cases, um, it's detrimental, not only, to, not only to the person, but to the business, because if they truly don't know how to embrace autonomy, mm. uh, it's disruptive. And I've experienced that. Yes. Doesn't make me want to be a micromanager, though. No, 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 <laughs> you no, 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 but no, no. And you shouldn't be a micromanager. Don't be a micromanager. Actually, if you have micromanagement issues, please contact me. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about it. <laughs> I, you know, and again, I've, I've uh, you know, since, since, you know, founding one business and doing really well, and then now involved in another one, I do spend a fair bit of time uh, reading management books and listening mm. to uh, different podcasts and audiobooks on on business and management because there are multiple different styles, and I don't think there's there's no one size fits all with every employee either. They every single person has uh, has to be managed in a different way, and it's a unique way. Yeah. And I think that's why. That's why management is is a really big you know category in business. Mm, mm, I agree. So why did you exit? So with my first business, I built it to sell it. Uh, it may sound right, really okay. cor- may sound really corny. I um I was really fascinated by this idea that uh, you could create something and then it could grow in value and then you could exit it and make money. Um, so I built it to make it really lean, really attractive so that it was for sale all day, every day. And towards the end, I was ready to sell it. I was burnt out. I was completely, <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> that was I much. was fried. 
I'm not going to lie. I was fried. I was ready to sell it. Um, you know, the thing I did not anticipate, though, for other entrepreneurs out there that are listening to this, the thing I didn't anticipate was, um, was missing it and the loneliness that came afterwards. Interesting. Did not anticipate that at all. Like, I have, I've, been, I've been working since as long as I can remember, whether it was doing chores in, in, a, in a working class house right up until the day that I sold my last business. I was like 12 hours a day. And then, mm. you know, you exercise in there and then you, you read or work until one o'clock in the morning and then you get up at 5.30 in the morning again and you hit it again. And it was just like, I was a hamster on a wheel. And so I was elated when I sold. Uh, but then when I didn't have a job and a place to go and a purpose, it was difficult. I'm not going to lie. It was very challenging. It was an interesting and challenging time in my life. Right. That is interesting because it reminds me of a conversation that I had with another podcast guest called uh, Steve Melwish. is the founder of Property Guru uh, Group in Asia, which is a unicorn. If only did back in the early 2000s. And after 17 years, he stepped out from the business. And he said exactly that. So he didn't sell it, but I think right now they are in, in uh, the process of an IPO. But he, he said exactly that. He didn't know what else to do. He was, he was lost. So he created a new business. Is that the same with you? <laughs> it's the same for me. Right. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's the same thing. I, I uh, created something new, a completely new idea, wild and crazy idea. Um, and, uh, and, and that has really been my passion since, you know, since it's over three years now, but it, mm. that, that was the essence of it. I had a, I had a really downtime in my life where I was like, okay, what do I do next? Like, you know, I've spent an entire career, not only researching and studying something and then turned my research and passion into a business, grew it and then sold it. And then I had a non-compete, which was really challenging. So I couldn't work in the space. I couldn't advise. I couldn't really do anything for right. a period of time. And I, I felt really kind of confined and trapped by that. But uh, it definitely motivated me to sink my teeth into something new, which okay. is where Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this uh, new business of yours. Yeah. So the, the concept, uh, so back three and a half years ago. So again, okay, go back to, I sold my last business didn't have a job. What do you do? I had a little bit of money. I traveled, uh, spent time with my family that was really young at the time when I was running my last business, uh, moved to a different part of North America, um, became plant-based. So switched to full-on plant-based. Our entire family now is vegan going on five years, which has okay. been a, a really interesting journey personally and, and also as a family. But that journey of becoming vegan really sparked an interest in the impact of food uh, not only on our health but on the planet and that's when I discovered this big issue of food waste and mm. you know when you dig into and start researching food waste I think now it's I think it's every week we read something about it in the news um, and it's just it, when you get really close to it, when I mean by close to it, when you go and visit places where food is being discarded, it's going into waste management uh, trucks and it's being hauled away. It's a bit disheartening because the food is actually in a pretty good state that if something you know, is done in that early state, that food could be repurposed and feed mm -hmm. the millions of people that are hungry every day. So 
uh, I think it was from a from that kind of point of view that I set out to discover either if there's a technology that existed to take that food that would be going to landfill and and preserve the nutrients that are in it uh, or create something. And so what I discovered is that there was really there was nothing in place to handle it. Uh, and so just kind of embarked upon doing a bit of R&D and, and try to create a business model around getting food that was being lost or wasted, um, cleaning it so that it's clean and free of mm. all the bugs and bad things, and then preserving the nutritional value in it, and then creating, uh, making it shelf stable so that it had two years of shelf stability so that either our company, which we make a branded product and sell it in market, or another food related company could use the nutrition and turn it into products for their customers. And so again, it was an idea three and a half years ago. And now we've, uh, we've got two manufacturing facilities where we are doing this in earnest. And, and again, it's one of those things. It started as an idea on a napkin with a consultation with some really smart people, some scientists mm -hmm. and engineers and, and some small scale research projects. Um, where we are in Canada, there's terrific support from government to do R&D and small pilot projects. And we were lucky to get some funding to do that. And now we have this uh, fully functioning facility here in Nova Scotia that is at about 80% capacity. And we're just about to open a second facility uh, just south of Toronto in Canada to really do large scale um, large-scale processing of fruits and vegetables. So exciting time for us. Yeah, indeed. And so what's your, what's your big dream with this business? What do you want to take it to? Yeah, so again, from a guy that likes to, uh, you know, ask questions and be curious, and create new categories. For me, it's creating this new category and more awareness mm. about upcycling food, which upcycling, again, even for me, three and a half years ago was a new term. Uh, and upcycling in the food and beverage space only developed a certification process this year. So in 2021, so very, very new. Um, so for me, it's build this new category, um, create a marketplace and then exit the business. I really feel like that's one of the things that I enjoyed the last time is just going from idea, creating something that's unique, something that has uh, lasting legs long beyond me and then transitioning and then thinking about something else because i do yeah. find that i do find that when you get to a certain point in business at least for me running the day-to-day -day is stifling of my creativity yeah <laughs> it's not a good use of my time mm -hmm. and so, so start the process start the process again after <laughs> you got it you we got it stop I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. It's like, it's like breathing, right? It just happens automatically. Like I think, you know, I'm already thinking about other, uh, you know, other things <laughs> that I'd like to do. I love, I love the, uh, I love where we've come in such a short period of time with this business, but I think it's at a point now where really good savvy business people can take it and grow it into something really big and profound. Mm. What have you learned about, yourself since you became an entrepreneur? Well, you know, the one thing I learned is that, uh, well, there's many things, but one is that learning is a constant journey. Mm. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the people piece uh, requires an incredible amount of patience and uh, 
the one thing I've done differently with this business compared to my last one is I feel like I've become a lot more tolerant. It could be for a variety of reasons. One, it could be because I've already built a business and had lots of interactions with people. Mm -hmm. It could also be because, you know, I'm a father of uh, growing kids. And so you become a little more patient and tolerant. Um, so I think I'm getting I've, older too. Maybe. I'm getting old. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. I've got more gray hair in the last three years since Are started. Better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's true. Like with with age comes wisdom, and mm. I I do think uh, I do think learning is is a constant. Like we have to constantly self evaluate in order to get better all the time. And I and and I'm sure you and your life have run into people where you feel like they're just pretty set in their ways and stuck. Yes. I, I feel bad for people like that. I've never been that person. I'm, I'm constantly evaluating every situation and learning and modifying it so that I can become better. Mm. Um, I really think that that's something I try to instill in the people that I spend time with too, is self-evaluation and thinking time is really important. All too often in business, we get so busy that um, we, we don't spend the time, the quiet time thinking Uh, and understanding both ourselves and the situation you're in enough. And so I pride myself on having some protected time where I can do that. Nice. Would you say your uh, modest background, which you mentioned a couple of times, helps you reach where you are today? I think it's a big part of it. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, I can reflect on those early days uh, and I have fond memories of it. I, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I missed anything, but, you know, I think back because I've, through my career, I've, I've met people that have had different backgrounds um, mm. and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just very different. But I, th I think the one takeaway is that you can become pretty resilient as a result of, you know, growing up in a trailer park and, and having very little and then appreciating the little that I had, which was, you know, again, my parents working to put us into sports, like three kids in the family and skates and sticks and equipment isn't, uh, isn't cheap. And so, you know, they worked hard to put food on the table and make sure that my brother and sister and I were active in everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it builds up resilience. It builds up, um, I think, a, a respect, a respect and appreciation for things. Um, and uh, definitely makes you uh, pretty hardy, I think. Yeah, these are good qualities to, uh, to, to have as an entrepreneur. Yes, I think so, because it's a grueling grind. You, uh, <laughs> if you have not experienced hardships in your life and you're a first time entrepreneur, I, I worry for you. Mm. Yes, <laughs> indeed. indeed. I mean, it's, it's not impossible, that's for sure. But I think if, you've, if you haven't encountered any challenges, whether it's, you know, roadblocks in your academic pursuits or personal relationships or whatever, I think, you know, I think, I think we call upon those hardships uh, to help us navigate uh, the murky waters that mm -hmm. oftentimes come with being an entrepreneur. It's interesting your point because, you know, now the major, uh, they glamorize all these, uh, you know, the, the very successful entrepreneurs, which are, it's like the 0.0000000% of all the entrepreneurs, by the way. And then, they, you know, it's like uh, they never struggle. <laughs> that it is not true. Like that. It seems like it. <laughs> 
It seems like that. I, I look at those ones that you describe, and you're right. Those are the ones that are highly glamorized, and you see them on social. And it seems really, it seems really easy. And yes. yeah, no challenges there. <laughs> Which is <laughs> it's not entirely true. I do think entrepreneurship has been highly hyped up and sensationalized and romanticized and creating mm. a business, you know, highly. I think there's a lot of fantasy and, and hype around it. And I always caution people that are business people for a long time. I caution them at uh, switching from their stable um, career that puts food on the table and looks after their family to jumping, uh, jumping into some of these startups without doing some good, you know, investigation into them and, and also into themselves because it seems really exciting until all of a sudden the business runs out of money. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, where's the paycheck coming from? <laughs> Indeed. Um, what are you the most proud of? I, I think I'm most proud of that transition from academic life. Like I think mm. you, you just you pinpointed that quickly when we first met. And I, and I, I say that because um, the academic world is a wonderful world. It is, uh, there's a lot of autonomy for an individual in terms of your time. Your time is spent on reading and where you wanna focus your time. And you can be incredibly busy and productive as an academic, or you could be, I don't know, let's call it somewhat lazy. Um, and I have, I shouldn't say lazy, I have, I have colleagues from that world that are amazing golfers because they spend a lot of time on the <laughs> golf course. They're amazing <laughs> teachers. And then I have, you know, amazing, super smart, hardworking, highly publishing, like just savage researchers. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think I'm most proud of that transition. And I say that because I know a lot of other really smart academics that ask me constantly about how to make that leap and they don't yeah. yes and it's because it's a it's a terrific life it's a terrific career um, <clears throat> but I think again we have when you think about the PhDs and the researchers they're some of the smartest people on the planet and what we as entrepreneurs and storytellers need to do is we need to figure out how to trans Take, translate that information, either get these people to be more involved in entrepreneurship, or at the very least, learn how to take the information that they have access to and that they're researching and bring it into the business world because um, the science and the technology is what's gonna dictate all these new innovative ideas and businesses that are gonna help save the planet, they're gonna help change everything in our day to day and really support our growing economy. You just mentioned uh, entrepreneurs as uh, storytellers. And earlier in a conversation, you also talk about storytelling. And I think you, you described storytelling as one of the, the key reasons for success. Can you tell me more about that? The, the, why is it so important for you, storytelling? Yeah, so the, the one thing I learned really quickly, so again, being in university for a long time, and I went to university for 10 years, and uh, the funny thing is, is my dad, who was a mechanic and dropped out of school before high school, he said to me, mm. 
said to me one day when I told him, uh, dad, I finished my undergrad, finished my master's. I'm going to do a PhD. And he said, what's that? What is a PhD? And I said, oh, it's probably another, you know, three or four years of university. And I'm going to study and be really smart at one topic. And he said, haven't you taken every course that the university And so through that journey, I, you know, I I had a lot of really good professors and some really good, some not so good. And the ones that were really good were the ones that could tell the topic in a way that made it interesting for us to listen to as a student. And so I view that as storytelling around uh, science. It could be the hardest topic going. It could be organic chemistry, but if you do a great job telling the story about it, and, and make it relatable to the subjects or the students. It'll, the, the information goes in and it lasts. And so I was a consumer of terrific storytelling and I was, I was the student and I'm still to this day, I don't take a lot of notes, but boy, I pay attention. Mm. And when the story is rich, the information sinks in and it stays. And so I became a university professor uh, in the same way. And that <clears throat> when I went in front of students, I was there to not only educate them, but perform and make right. it fun. And so um, that's what I, I brought forward into the entrepreneurial world, world. And I've discovered that other successful entrepreneurs typically are pretty good storytellers. Yes. Very and I think, that, I think that that's a way for us to do our part, uh, not only to educate, uh, but to improve the experience overall whether it's selling a service, selling a product, doing a podcast. Let's face it, if we're smiling and we're laughing, everyone's enjoying that experience mm-hmm. way more than if it's just really serious. And you could, be, you could be learning, sorry, you could be telling the same content, but if you do it in a different way, it'll last, it'll stick. Now, take all your experience as an entrepreneur and combine it into one key recommendation that you will give to other entrepreneurs, wannabe entrepreneurs, startup funders. That's a tough one because yes. there are so many facets of it. I think the takeaway that I would, uh, I would, um, the one piece of advice would be stay true to the original vision and idea, no matter what. And I say that because before all of us jump into the pool, we typically put our toe in. And in my personal experience, it's so easy to be distracted and change the course of, of the road. But at the end of the day, if, you're, if you pair it all back to that original idea, that original energy and the original vision, nothing's going to knock you off your course. Mm. And that could be related to uh, challenges you run in, in your marketplace. It could be challenges related to your investors. It could be challenges related to regulatory environment. But if you stay true to that original vision and idea that set you on that path, that is the foundation for the whole reason for where you are. And I think you just have to stick to it. And when you are distracted and you will be distracted, you can, you can always peel it back to the original idea, the original energy and the original vision. And that should be your safe place. And that should be the place that's, that's almost like your beacon for moving. It's always from that point of view. Start with why. 
again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Simon Sinek, he did yeah. it well. He, he, he's, he did it, in, he wrote it incredibly well for all of yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, I'm sorry that this conversation was fantastic, but I have, I have to stop it now because of the time. Uh, I didn't realize last... we went, I didn't realize it went that long. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, time, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One last question. How can people contact you? They can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, just my name and Dr. Burke. Uh, they can contact me through LinkedIn or they can email me at db at oatcastfoods.com and they can check our website out at www.oatcastfoods.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Darren, for your time today. Thank you very much. It's so nice to see you again. Enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you all for listening. If you like this show, then please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform so you can help inspire more entrepreneurs. See you next time. Bye-bye.